We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast brought to you by Harry's. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. The Lakers are an astounding 21-3, and which means that they could go 500 over these last 58 games, and they would still win 50 games this season, to put in perspective just how dominant they've been. And the man who's been taking this team to the next level has been Anthony Davis. He has somehow been able to maintain his remarkable defensive performance, but lately he's really turned it up a notch on the offensive end. I was fortunate enough to be in the building. It was my first in-person Laker game this year to watch AD drop a 50-piece on Carl Anthony Towns, much to the delight of my Timberwolf-hating girlfriend, Jeannie, who is also there. You should go to every uh, game, Pete. Go to every game. <laughs> hey, if we can if we can make this happen uh, collectively, I would, uh, yeah, I'd be all about it. Um, no, but uh, yeah, man, he is in person he he moves like he's 64 65 he's super coordinated he's like he kind of reminds me of like one of those old school centers or like Tim Duncan was very like oh you're on my right shoulder I'll shoot a lefty hook yeah. right and so everything was very simple cuz he had every tool in his bag and so watching AD do that while running the court while just wrecking shop on the defensive end just Really unbelievable, but I want to talk about the offensive end of the court. He dropped 50. He had a 39-point game recently. He's breached 40 a couple of times. Uh, But lately, he is more and more efficient. He went 20 for 29. Who hits 20 shots in a game, man? He had 16 baskets in the paint, right? Like, there's this idea of, I think 
the plays that are easiest to remember for me aren't necessarily always the ones that you just talked about, right? Like, oh, look at AD. He's 20 feet out. He dribbled between his legs a couple times and then he sidestepped left and shot a 20 foot jumper and like he buried it, right? Like those are real Mm -hmm. guard skill plays, right? You could tell over the last three or four years that he's really honed in on those perimeter skills that he was born with, right? Or grew up with because he had that crazy growth spurt when he was in high school. You could tell that, and you had that great video about this before the season started, about the insane guard skills of Anthony Davis. But those plays are always great. They sort of remind you of this otherworldly skill that he has, but you're 100% right when the efficiency in terms of how he's getting to spots on the floor, like 15, 12 feet and in, Mm -hmm. has really been fantastic. And he is beating smaller defenders just shooting over the top of them. He's getting a shoulder in to those guys and just finishing over the top, right? But against bigger guys, he is setting them up with classic post footwork moves. It's cool to watch. Like triple threat, jab step, hard dribble, drop step, right? Left Mm -hmm. shoulder jump hook, right shoulder turn and fade, jab step into you off of a turn, turn and face, quick crossover right to left, going up in to that half Dirk fade, half runner Mm -hmm. that he shoots. He's got this arsenal of offensive moves and this just amazing soft release Mm -hmm. from so high that it's really impossible to block. And he's just scoring in ways that you had said this before the season, like, oh, Anthony Davis, like he's a guy who could get you 40 points and make it look super easy. I'm wondering, since you had some decent seats last night, I'm wondering what it looked like from the level that you got to watch it at. Because I know a lot of times you're like, oh, I've got camera angles, right? I've got the game tape or you're like kind of like where the scouts sit. Right. Mm -hmm. Like from from media row. And that's a different vantage point. But Mm -hmm. from the floor or near the floor, you see something different. So talk us through right now some of the stuff that you're seeing that makes it so like, damn, that's really unstoppable. Yeah, it's it's hard to put into words that he's every limb of his is in sync in a way that is very unusual for a guy his size. He reminds me a little bit of James Worthy. I I know a lot of our listeners are not old enough to remember big game, but remember James would have that like drive baseline spin back middle. And it was just all this very fluid symphonic, like ballerina, like all these like very graceful words come to mind. Worthy was also one of those first guys from the post, especially where he was primarily a post player, but a turn and face post player. Like you didn't see a lot of that, right? Like a lot of the post play guys that we saw during the eight were sort of back you down power move, like up and under type guys. And Worthy had those moves as well, but Worthy's a great comparison, especially for that driving left sort of fading mm-hmm. jumper that mm-hmm. Worthy would shoot. Worthy was only 6'9", though. Davis is 6'11", and, and so it, it's With the just a different that level. Ex- yeah, that exceeds that, right? Like, he's he's got those moves in a, a center's body, really. And it's remarkable. So in some ways, he can be knocked off balance by contact. That's Mm -hmm. one thing that I am seeing different than earlier in the season that I noticed in person is that he's turning 
into guys that he has a size advantage over. And as a shorter guy myself, I always knew when I was matched up with a guy that was bigger than me, then they would try to post me up. I'd want to get into his body, right? Make him uncomfortable. And yeah. that's, you know, those shots to the ribs. He had a rib issue earlier that made me wonder if like, hey, I'd rather take this like fadeaway 17 footer than this yeah. like step through 10 footer that, that's going to be a better shot. Um, but in person, he is so on balance by and large and so fluid his hand-eye coordination is what stands out the most there was a pass by caruso where it was in transition and he looked off the defenders and yeah. hit ad on a rim run and ad wasn't expecting it and this was coming we were kind of in the corner where we were sitting so ad was coming toward the basket and the ball was like at least halfway there before ad got his hands up and so for a guy that size to be able to the oh hey catch that like and and be able to just yeah react with his hands, catch that on balance and not go tumbling because he's going so fast and this unexpected thing happened, gather himself, he go straight up with it. Like it looks easy, but it's not. There aren't many bigs who can do that. So just that fluidity, balance and hand-eye coordination along with his remarkable physical gifts is what stands out in person. Well, it's interesting because those are the same things that he uses defensively. Right. Like so you talked about the sequence where Caruso hit Davis in stride. There was a there was an inverse play that happened during the game as well. Right. Davis was actually a helper defensively. Um, and I can't remember who was getting attacked off of the dribble, but A.D. sort of reached in and got a deflection and then got a steal. He pushed the ball in the open court and then fed Caruso. Right. But the hand eye coordination, you see that a lot. Davis is getting like one point six or one point seven steals a game. I think against the last game against the Timberwolves, he had four steals. He not only has great instincts, but he has the hand eye coordination to, to sort of pick out these balls. Right. Or, or reach in and not get called for a foul. There's a bunch of stuff I've been looking at him defensively. And so it's crazy because there have been so many sort of like elite, elite defensive players who were sort of big men type. Right. Like the Ben Wallace types, the Dennis Rodman's types who do not have the feel offensively, right? right. Like, th like those skills that they use as great defensive players did not necessarily translate to being a great offensive player, but Davis is, is not like that at all. Or he doesn't have, they don't have his size too. Like he sure. is like, you know, next to Carl Anthony Towns, who's a very impressive guy himself. It's like, oh yeah, that guy's, that guy's the better athlete than that guy. It's like that apparent and like, yeah. and while being that size. So yeah, you, those great skilled defenders, you could throw Draymond into that too. Yeah. There's just this general imposingness that goes along with that. And the IQ on top of it, man. He's just, just I, I, I cannot stop marveling. We were talking a little bit about uh, before the show about like, you know, when they're twenty one and three, there's only so many ways to say how good they are, right? But yeah. The, but Anthony, like, what is, what is Anthony Davis's worst basketball attribute? Like, what is he worst at at basketball? Oh man. I still do think that off of his face-up moves, there is a little bit of um, you get into him a little bit and he's not going to like sort of like bull through you. And mm -hmm. when you talked about how he's always on balance, I think that's true almost to a fault because 
There mm. are times where he's getting knocked off balance, but he still has enough balance to think, oh, well, this is just an 11-foot runner. Like, I hit this mm-hmm. in my sleep. Right, right, right. And so there's still some stuff around that where... So I watched the Pelicans play the Warriors in the playoffs a few years ago. Right. And um, Davis was awesome, right? I think he probably averaged like 31 or 32 mm-hmm. points a game and like 10 or 11 or 12 rebounds, some, something like that. Clearly one of the best players on the floor. But the things that... Draymond did do some things to him defensively where over the course of the game, you could tell Draymond was getting more and more effective against AD. And a lot of it was that I'm going to get into you some, I'm going to play with a lower center of gravity and sort of knock you off. There's only so many guys who have those specific tools that can bother him like that, right? And it's also like if in... In terms of like what is the weakest part of his game, it's stronger than anyone else's weakest part of their game, right? Like we're talking about little details or little like matchup problems that, hey, maybe he doesn't power through this guy the way that he could, but he's still one of the best face-up guys in the game, right? Like I would say the weakest attribute of his game is his passing ability or or more his court vision. Uh, I would love to know kind of his film room habits and what he's been taught film room-wise because a lot of his mistakes or are just like misreads, right? It's like, oh, you should have gone there instead of there. And your way of knowing that you should have gone there is this is the guy that you watch on this play. If he helps from, you know, if the help comes from here, the pass goes there. If the help comes from there, the pass goes to this guy instead. It's not like crazy, you know, difficult stuff that that he can't pick up. And he's only 26 years old. That's the thing that like, he's like a year and a half older than Kuzma or something like that. Right. So uh, the things that are, you know, weak about his game are still relatively strong and it's remarkable to see somebody on a night-to-night basis who's so good at every aspect of basketball so let's take a quick break and when we come back uh we'll talk a little bit more about ad and then get on to uh an aspect of this team that's kind of surprised us are you looking for a great gift for someone in your life if you're looking for a great gift for someone in your life harry's is both thoughtful and practical Listeners of the show can get $5 off any Harry's shave set by heading to harrys.com backslash blue wire. Free shipping ends on December 16th, so act now. Holiday sets are just $20 and a Harry's blade refills are as low as $2 each. It comes ready to gift in a handsome holiday gift box and your gift gives back. 1% of each sale will be donated to charitable organizations. As a special offer for fans of the show, we've partnered with Harry's to give you $5 off of any shave set, including their limited edition holiday sets, when you go to harrys.com backslash bluewire. Plus, you'll get free shipping. Each Harry's shaving set comes with a weighted handle with an option to engrave, five-blade razor cartridges, foaming shave gel for a rich lather, travel cover to protect your blades, and it's packaged in a handsome holiday gift box. Free shipping ends on December 16th, so act now. Just go to harrys.com backslash bluewire. That's harrys.com backslash bluewire. All right, so with Anthony Davis, who's just killing it on both ends of the court right now and is really, I think, a big reason why the Lakers are 16-0 and against those teams under 500. He's such a floor raiser that he will you know, eat apart that he'll, he'll eat up these teams that are under 500 and, you know, get you most of the way there. Even on those nights where LeBron plays, you know, 15 minutes really hard, you can still get the wins in those games. In order for us to be building toward the championship that, you know, 
we didn't necessarily expect before the season, uh, AD's incorporation and, and fitting into LeBron and the team in general will have to be as optimized as it can be. Yeah. What are the next steps in terms of making that happen? I think sort of continuing to grow the two-man game between him and LeBron is just super important. We've seen strides in that. I remember some of our conversations in the first five to 10 games of the season, and you and I were just sort of flummoxed about the lack of pick and rolls. I still think they're not running a high enough volume of those, but there just hasn't been a lot of two-man game between the two. I think the Lakers are leveraging their individual strengths really quite well. Um, I do not think that they're leveraging their combined strengths um, as often as mm, interesting. well as they could. Um, you and I talked about this either last pod or uh, the one before, just about the combined gravity and how that is just going to be exponentially more than it is with them as individuals. And considering how high their individual gravity is, that could just be optimized a little bit more. Against the Timberwolves, and I know that this is going to be dependent on some of the defensive schemes that they face, but the like the Timberwolves did not show a bunch of discipline at the point of attack in their pick-and-roll coverage, and that led to some more pocket-bounce passes from LeBron to AD and pick-and-roll stuff, or more lob actions. There's also stuff that LeBron is doing where he's throwing ahead 40 or 50 feet to AD Mm -hmm. um, and sort of letting him attack and leveraging AD's individual strengths that way. And LeBron may get an assist that way, but that's not like two-man game. Do you think that they could be doing this more or do you like what they're doing now considering it's, it's as effective as it has been? I kind of like what they're doing now because the two-man game will always be there. Um, Mm. I don't think it's something they need to hide from the rest of the league or anything like that and only pull it out when it's, you know, deep in the playoffs. But I do think they need to be more than just that two-man game. And they've certainly, you know, been phenomenal on offense the last few weeks, uh, not doing... And it's a lot of post-ups. It's a lot of isolation play, a lot of like mid 90s I've got a star sure. on my team and you don't type basketball yeah. and it's it's working really well it's kind of a cool throwback team just overall right the physicality and athletic superiority we talked about very early 2000 Lakers honestly right yes. like what people forget about the triangle is for all the read and react for all the like oh the ball goes here so now you go there or the defense does this so you cut cut there it, so <laughs> yes. much of it was like yeah how about we throw the ball into Shaq <laughs> and then we cut off of him and now it's right. a post isolation like Voila, That's right. Now he's right? by himself on the left side, on the left lock. Right, like, right. It's magical how, how the way that that worked out. To Kobe Bryant in the pinch yeah. post and yes. clear out a side. That's my yes. basketball <laughs> genius at work. Yeah. No, you know, and that's not to knock Tex or like Tex Winter, no. right? Who who was a genius or he, or he was. like or Phil Jackson, but I honestly think the best genius in the world could tell you let's leverage Michael Jordan, right. Kobe Bryant, and Shaquille O'Neal, right? And, and that's the thing, and that's why the triangle didn't really work elsewhere, right? Like you need those type of dudes. <laughs> I always th- thought that Phil's personal skills were a lot more valuable than you know the triangle sure. and all that. But that's a conversation for for another day. With AD, 
I do want to see more two-man game like you, but I am enjoying how they're able to get all of these quality looks without having to rely on that. Within that whole framework, that's why I'm big on the film room work with AD on his passing is because there are so many touches on those 50-foot hit ahead passes and you know early post offense or even in in the half court where we're giving the ball to AD and, and posting up with him posting up with LeBron and LeBron's able to make all of these reads at a high level AD's a little bit hit and miss I, I think that both teaching him his reads better in the film room and running some maybe intentional weak side actions. So with mm-hmm. LeBron, LeBron's always going to spot the open guy. And even if he gets the hockey assist out of it, AD works, does his best passing in my observation when it's coming out of a, like of a handoff or something where there's an action where it's like, if, if you don't hand it off here, then you go here with it. But it's already yeah. like not him deciding in the moment, but kind of knowing ahead of time, these are my reads. Well, also, too, some of his best passes this year have been off of face-up dribble drives, draw help, right? And he's he's even great at making that pass after he's turned his back mm-hmm. to the defense, like on a spin, right? Like he's had a couple of really good passes to JaVale and also to weak side cutters who are diving from the weak right. side corner, right? Because AD knows that... I'm going to hard dribble left to my left hand. I'm going to spin back middle. Defense is going to step up and my big man is lurking to the like within the dunker spot. He should be relocating here and there's my pass or here comes the dive man. There's my pass. And so he's very good at making that read. What he's not as good at is stacked floor. There's now 12 arms, right? Because there's like three of the opposing defenders and then his own players maneuvering around and he doesn't quite see where the angles are. Right. Right. And there's an element to that to sort of growing the team. And that brings me to a point that I sort of wanted to raise with you and get some feedback from you on. Coming into the season, you and I both had a cautious optimism about this team but a real skepticism as well about what their ceiling was and how far they could go, right? We thought second round of the playoffs, things break a little right for them, conference finals, things break a little bit more right for them. Yeah, they could end up in the finals, but, you know, I think we both saw saw them as like a level below a couple of the like higher tiered teams. Mm -hmm. They're 21 and three. You brought that up right at the beginning of the pod. Were we off with our expectations? Like this team to me doesn't look like a 21 and three team on paper. They have Anthony Davis and LeBron James. To me, right, you mentioned about Davis being this floor raiser, and he is. He's also a ceiling raiser, and LeBron Mm -hmm. is the ultimate ceiling raiser. But there were a lot of questions about the role players and how would they all fit? And it's a brand new team with a brand new coaching staff. Like, There's a lot on paper that sort of leads to a certain amount of skepticism about them. And there's been very little of that. Are they this good? Yeah, they're this good. This is what we did wrong. That whole, like, yeah, they have LeBron and AD, but that should be three paragraphs before you get to but. Right. And that's what we did is that, yes, you have these two great players, but the rest of the roster might be a little bit suspect. The way in which they're great and the way in which they're complementary to each other while being great, we underestimated the impact Hmm. of that. Yeah. 
who amongst the role players are really playing above their heads right now? It, like, is it anybody standing out to you? Like, maybe Dwight? Maybe Dwight's the one? But by and large, the role players, it's not like yeah. somebody was like, wow, who saw that guy emerged as a, like Pascal Siakam going from six, 7.6 points per game to like second best player on a title team. Title. Yeah. Nobody's done that amongst the yeah. other guys. We focused too much on the other guys and didn't realize the degree to which having LeBron and AD, like it wasn't just, yeah, you got LeBron and AD and that's nice. It's that like they go up against Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum and it's like laughable. Jokic and Murray, it's laughable comparison yeah. in terms of the star power and what that means. In in most of these matchups, that's what it what it's been, and so that we underestimated the power of what that combination was going to be. First of all, I think that that's one hundred percent right. Second of all, though, and I wrote about this at Silver Screen and Roll a little bit earlier this season when I sort of talked about Frank Vogel's playing. Um, I called it role player roulette because he was making a lot of really good in game choices with who to play and maybe changing things up. It started very early in the season when he did not start JaVale in the second half against the Jazz, and he went to Alex Caruso instead. And that was probably a good piece of insight to us about how Vogel might operate with this team, right? That he was not going to be scared to make those types of adjustments and go to maybe a guy who hadn't played so much. But one of the reasons that Vogel has been successful doing that is that a lot of these guys have sort of consistently stepped up, even if they're not consistently performing at the same level each and every night, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and so the game against the Timberwolves to me was a perfect example. When was the last time we had like a Danny Green game? It's been a while. What it's was that time Alex Caruso scored 16 points, right? No, he hadn't, like, all season, right? That's, right. like, four games worth of production for him. Alex Caruso's the king of having four points and being a plus 17, mm-hmm. right? Like, like in the box score. But that's really the point that, that I'm making. A week before that, it was KCP who had been on sort of this four- or five-game run of being a double-digit scorer. Kyle Kuzma's had a handful of games like that this season. Um, before he got hurt, Avery Bradley had some games like that. Rondo has had some games like that. And on and on down the list. Before you continue your point, how many guys on this team are like capable of a of a night, right? Like of the role players are capable of just like every once in a while doing what you're just talking about. Yeah, I think like almost all of them, right. honestly. Right. And that's the thing is like with role players, like if if you've got that I can write in pen that LeBron and AD are going to get me 60 with rebounds and defense and a ton of assists. Like two of those guys, like being pretty good that night, like maybe four of the other guys aren't, but that is like, it's any individual. One of them having a good night isn't a, a worthy bet, but almost every night, a couple of them will. And when you've got that much of a head start, a lot of times that's enough. Yeah, no. And it's interesting, right? And AD and LeBron have been so good, right, that they have sort of raised the floor consistently each night for these role role players to sort of put them over the top in certain matchups. And and on some nights, they don't need a role player to put them over the top. AD gets you 50, well, 50 points. Okay, right? Uh-huh. Like right. like he, he, he has a 25-point half, like I think he did against Portland or something like that. I mean, like, what do you need? 
really. Sure. From the other guys. That said, I think to me, where you talked about the idea that we didn't give enough credence to the AD and LeBron pairing, that it's just like we sort of glossed over that these guys are, are both top five, top six players in the league and really didn't do it justice. I'm not sure if we did it justice that each of these role players also has a high ceiling, even if they're not going to reach their ceiling every single night, right? And this idea that they could be, as a collective, nightly contributors, that that was going to be such a difference in, like, through 25 games so far, 24 games, that that would be su- such a difference. The, the question that I want to put to you is, does a formula like that concern you when it comes to the playoffs? It does a little bit. Like, guys can shrink in those circumstances. That said, since we don't have a third guy that we can rely on to produce offensively from night to night, the the defense provides a high floor. The I mean, the whole idea of you've got LeBron and AD, and we may not have necessarily done justice what that means, along with really good defensive players. Like, you are a lot of the way there, man. You need Danny Green or, you know, uh, Alex Caruso or KCP, someone just hit a few shots, like the shots that are yeah. going to be open because of the LeBron AD combination. Uh, that's really the difference between winning a playoff series and, and not. Now, if it was more dependent upon one of those guy, guys having to have the ball in their hands, I'd be concerned. The one guy that actually would need to have the ball in their hands is Rondo, and I don't have concerns about that. It's elsewhere with him. That Although, like, of all of our shooters, oddly, like if Rondo can shoot now, if that's really a thing, I think he's going to be the guy who, yeah. as a person, is least rattled by a playoff experience. Danny Green is always hot and cold. It's not a matter of he gets rattled. In the, like he had one of the great NBA finals in history and then was like awful another year. So like Danny Green's yeah. inconsistent. But a guy like KCP, how's KCP going to react in these really high-pressure situations? Yeah. He's never he's never played in them before. Alex Caruso, same thing. Uh like I, I trust Avery Bradley, you know, maybe not as much as Rondo, but as in terms of being able to be himself in big moments, I think they got a lot of tough dudes in that respect. But yeah. yeah, like in a playoff situation, do you think that we need a third guy like Kuzma, for example, to be like, all right, we need you to score right now, like in in a like we give you the ball type of way, or can at least the offense run through the superstars enough for it to not really matter? I think more of the latter yeah. than the former, right? Um, I do think, though, that LeBron and AD production, as much as we think and believe in, it probably is a given. Even great players are subject to the moments that you just talked about. Not necessarily about being rattled, but just like not having a good game, right? Like, I don't know how many times I've seen Steph Curry have like a six for 17 night, right? or a 7-for-20. One of Kobe's most famous games was a 6-for-24 night, right? Like, And on those nights, he did need a run-our test to hit a big three-pointer. Like, he did need Pau Gasol to come up for him. Now, if in this scenario, LeBron and AD are like the Kobe and Pau, um, how many times did we see like the Derek Fishers and Robert Ories and all of those guys make the big plays because they weren't rattled 
And right. they were like that very early in their careers as well, too, right? And and so I'm not trying to throw a wet blanket on any of this by any means. And I do think there is a formula from the past that tells us that like a collection of role players really can put you over the top in certain situations and in big playoff series or in individual games. But I do sort of have a little bit of a concern about what that might look like. Here's here's where I disagree with the premise is that LeBron and AD are not Kobe and Powell. They're Kobe and Shaq. Sure. Like I love Powell, man. Don't get me wrong. I, yeah, I always yeah, yeah. I always have to qualify my statement. I always seem to be trashing Powell Gasol on podcasts in terms of what he was as a player. But he was not on the level of an mm-hmm. Anthony Davis. I don't think that's an insult to Pau Gasol. I don't think Pau himself would would think that. But AD is like a, you know, number 1 pick in the draft, you know, franchise talent type of guy. Like he's a super duper star to a level that just Pau never was. He was never like that. So I think you need that third guy a little more, right? Yes, generational is yeah. like the term that you would use for Anthony Davis, right? Like he wasn't just number one pick in the draft. He is a number one pick in the draft and would probably go number one over a period of like eight to 10 years. He right. would probably be the number one pick out of all of those drafts. Right, in like nine or 10 of those drafts, somewhere in yeah. there, yes. So he is that type of talent and that's more akin to what Shaq was. They'd go about it differently, but... In on those teams, yeah, we had Glenn Rice in 2000, but we it was Horace Grant the next year, right? And yeah. it was you know Samaki Walker and Robert Ori and D Fish, and so those guys certainly they had to hit those big shots, and and the Lakers role players will have to hit big shots in order for the Lakers to win a title. That being said, I think that my big like oh we don't have enough was that we needed a third guy i think that's been proven wrong at the first part mm. of this season is that this is one of those special two man combos where they're so good that it eliminates the need for a third guy at least in a i need you to get 16 a night type of thing if everybody can play defense and hit big shots we got enough to win a title yeah i think that that's that feels right at this stage of the season i think if we were to revisit this in 20 games, we might reevaluate. Um, mm-hmm. But at this day, stage of the season, that definitely feels right to me as well. It, it's, it's just, you know, I look at this team and I think back to some of our early com- conversations and then I look at the record and I'm like, where were we wrong? And, and I think you answered that question at the start of this segment, but it doesn't make me feel like, oh, well, these preconceived notions are like completely dead for me, right? Mm-hmm. Like, sure. like, I feel like just as a human being, we all still sort of hold on to that first piece of analysis that we had as having a little bit of strength right? And sticking with us a little bit longer. That said, you and I were both really optimistic about this team. A lot more optimistic, I feel like, than maybe more national observers. Um, who, what, kind of na- what kind of national observers? Um, did you say, you, did know, you say more more national no. observers, <laughs> Darius? No. More <laughs> national observers? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Anyways, my friend, <laughs> there's a uh, look on your face right now. There's this idea though that all the role players were sort of like flawed in some way and more critically flawed and 
let's just say that I'm super happy through 21 games or through 24 games to see that. Yeah, maybe not so much, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, this this squad's really good, man. You always you said before the show, and we'll wrap up here that uh, Phil used to always say a title team gets to forty wins before they get to twenty losses. And like yeah. you pointed out, man, that's nineteen wins before seventeen losses, man. That's yeah. just above a five hundred record to get to that point. So this squad's the real deal, man. And uh, we're you know, I, I, it's it's hard to be in this in this place uh, so early, but that's the reality of what this team is. So uh, this is a hell of a lot of fun. Hopefully we'll have to find more ways to come up with how to explain how 24 and 3 is is good, right? It's a good problem for us to have. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We will catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Campbell in and out. The ball is tipped and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you That's kidding it. me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple and a fall away in the corner with a shot locked down. Lakers by three. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back, didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Powell. There's the move. Two, one. Missing. Unbelievable. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me?